Look around at this great city of ours. What do you see? I see a multitude of amazing people. Over the next hour, Bill Wilson and Michael Lynn White will talk to some of these amazing people about topics that interest you and give you just what you need to kick off your week with a dang on the Mr. Murfreesboro Show. Good evening, Murfreesboro. This is Mr. Murfreesboro, Bill Wilson. I hope everybody is doing well. We're glad you're tuning in and listening. Uh, Michael Lynn is not going to be with us tonight. She's out on a uh, something to do with personal, but everything's fine. She's fine. But we have somebody who's filling in for her, a dear friend of ours, and that's Claire Berger Perkins. Hey, Claire, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good tonight, Bill. How are you? Great. We're glad you're here. Thank you for having me. And, uh... Miller's right out here. He's doing his homework. Yes. But uh, <laughs> hope everybody's had a great weekend. <laughs> I'm excited about our guest tonight. Um, he's also a friend, and I actually know um, Austin through his wife Claire, Claire Maxwell, who sits on the county school board here in, in uh, Murfreesboro, Rutherford County. And uh, he's a lieutenant colonel. Are you retired? Or are you? I'm, I'm retired. I called it a day. You called it a day? Called it a day. It's a young man's game, and I'm an old man now, and it's time to hang time to up your boots out. and go home. Well, we're glad you're here. We, we've got retired Lieutenant Colonel Austin Maxwell is with us tonight who did a tour in Afghanistan. We know what's been going on over there, and we're going to delve into Afghanistan, and uh, we've got firsthand experience here with us tonight. Um, what's going on, man? Well, it's a, you know, it's obviously an awful situation um, over there. I mean, personally, you know, for me, I've still got an interpreter over there. Uh, he came to the United you States. Did. Yes, I do. Okay. Came to the United States uh, probably about 2015 or 16 on a green card visa. Uh, remarried, had a child, was going to school, running a bakery, went back to get his wife, and now he's stuck. And wow. uh, so we're still working with. Uh, Congressman DeGerlay's office, Congressman Green's office, uh, trying to get him back right now. Right. And so just in corresponding with him, you know, the Taliban are always present in Kabul where he's at. Um, you Is know, that where you were located? Well, Kabul, uh, you know, when I first went into Afghanistan, um, you flew into Kia, uh, which was Kabul International uh, Airport. And then you would go to uh, Camp Phoenix, and Camp Phoenix was a U.S. base, and then from then you would split out to the various provinces throughout Afghanistan. Right. And so in my case, I was in Herat province, uh, Chechiron, Kandahar, Kali Nau, and various other places. Right. Why was it called Camp, Camp I'm just curious, Camp Phoenix, does that have anything to do with Arizona? Well, you, know, you think about it, Phoenix rising from the ashes, so that was gotcha. really, you know, the mission, you know, you were building an army, you know, from the uh, from the ashes, so to speak. Right. Wow. And so did you meet him? He was already over there when your uh, interpreter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Farid was my interpreter, and, uh, you know, first met up with him in, in uh, Kali Nau, um, ended up in Chechiron. Uh, he followed me to Chechiron, so to speak, and then uh, he ended up with me down in uh, Sangin, uh, down in Helmand province. When's the last time you talked to him? 
Uh, last time I talked to him was prior out, well, uh, communicated via email right now, but last time I talked to him was about 2012. 2012. 2012. Wow. And then he came to the U.S. So actually 2015, now that I think about it. Well, let's talk about how we got there. Let's talk about Afghanistan. Yeah. Give us a little history. I know Claire studied up on this too, so chime in when you're ready, Claire. So, you know, Afghanistan, you know, as a country, um, it's really been unconquerable. You think about it, it goes back to, um, gosh, the British went in there, you know, multiple times. The British um, Empire. The British Empire. Um, historically, it's been ruled by the Pashtuns. You know, there's basically, you know, four ethnic groups, Pashtuns, uh, Tajiks, uh, Uzbeks, and Hazaras. Uh, the Pashtuns typically have ruled the country uh, the great majority. It has a very large, you know, tribal system. But, uh, you know, the Afghanistan that we know now, you know, late in the 70s, um, there was a uh, communist coup, and eventually the, the communists that were in charge were arresting, you know, tribal leaders, reforming the education systems, very harsh and radical reform. So they had an uprising, <clears throat> and lo and behold, the Soviet Union had to come in to restore order. Right. And eventually that started their 10-year involvement in Afghanistan, which led to the Soviet Union eventually leaving because the Mujahideen, which was at one time about 150,000 strong. The Soviets wow. had about 120,000 um, you know, soldiers in Afghanistan. So eventually, you know, the Soviets left, uh, but the Soviet Union collapsed. And then you had a long, long civil war between, you know, various warlords. Uh, you know, uh, Massoud was one. Uh, Muhammad Dostum was another. Ishmael Khan out west in Herat. So you had all these warlords fighting it out. Right. And then along comes the Taliban about 1995 or 6, till they were in power in 2001. And of course, we all know that they were harboring Osama bin Laden. Uh, they wouldn't give him up. So we went in, he escaped, and that began, you know, our 20-year journey you know, right. into that country. Wow. So he, I always thought he was in Pakistan, but he, he would, I guess the borders up there, it's kind of hard to imagine. Yeah. They were, Afghans were a, a Bedouin people, nomads, they live a very simple life, I would say. A, a very simple life. Um, compared to, compared uh, to us Americans, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was one town I was in, uh, Chacharan, which is in the center part of the uh, country. It's in Gore province. And essentially the town ran off of essentially one generator. Wow. And at night, when they would shut that generator off, I mean, you could see as many stars as you wanted to see as far as the eye could see. Um, you know, so I've always you know felt like Afghanistan, you know, as a country, you've got Kabul. And right. then you've got the rural, you know, agrarian parts of the country. The vast majority of the population doesn't live in the cities. It lives in the smaller towns. Right. So you could say Jalalabad, Kandahar, Herat, Mazari Sharif, um, Kabul. Those are important cities. Right. But the vast majority of people live in the smaller towns that you never have heard of. Right. Just a real simple <clears throat> type of people bedouin nomads they you know the borders that i can't imagine like the borders of like pakistan it's very mount mountainous and yeah you can't get around unless you've yeah. got a chopper or an airplane yeah. or, 
certain points to get in. In fact, I was reading somewhere Pakistan has actually begun to build a wall uh, and completed like 1,600 miles of some sort of a border wall or border fence to keep people crossing over Afghan to Pakistan or Pakistan to Afghan and Afghanistan. So. Do they get along over there? Um, my opinion, no. And the reason I say that is, if you look at it historically, if you look at Pakistan, Pakistan's conflicts with India historically, I've always felt like Pakistan wanted a weak Afghanistan. Because if, if Afghanistan is weak, that's good for Pakistan. If India were ever to get into it right. with them and invade, they've got a place to go and a place that they can dominate. I'm no expert on world politics, but I uh, have a poli-sci degree from MTSU, eight years in a... Uh, had world politics with Dr. Jack Turner. He's from East, uh, he's from Appalachia. I had him too. Did you have Jack Turner? Mm -hmm. He but he would talk about how the Afghans and the Pakistanis when they get mad at each other, they would go up to the border and do a, a neutron bomb like a, a underground just to <laughs> hey, back off. They would do that. That was yeah. Don't intimidation, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Don't don't know, um, but. Certainly, it may not be a neutron bomb, yeah. but Claire, do you want to chime in? Well, no, I, yeah. Just interestingly, speaking on, on Pakistan, I guess my question to you would be um, I have, I have uh, heard and read that you know, Pakistan always sort of tended to um, harbor Osama bin Laden, right, the Taliban, right, yeah. when, they, when they fled Afghanistan and and went there so for me to hear you talk about that they historically did not get along i feel like it's interesting in that perhaps maybe pakistan did they play both sides did they um did they interfere at all in our uh abilities to create the type of government and stability that we hoped to create in afghanistan by allowing these terrorists yeah. to cross over and, and take safe harbor in their space? It's, it's a good question and a good point. Um, my opinion, I would say yes. Um, they would never really want a strong Afghanistan. I know Fareed, my interpreter, feels that way, that Pakistan is responsible for it. If you think about it, the Taliban is a byproduct of Pakistan. It came out of Pakistani madrasas. Mm -hmm. Uh, my understanding is they were funded by you know Pakistani ISI, so it's um, it's not in their best interest to have a strong independent Afghanistan. They would obviously want a weak or corruptible you know type of place. And you know, let's face it, um, you know, you, you go back to uh, the raid to get Osama bin Laden. There's probably a very specific reason why President Obama didn't let the Pakistanis know, didn't let the Pakistani military know, For the sure. Pakistani Air Force know, because who's not to say that they would have tipped him off? I mean, he was literally right there. Right. And you, you can't tell me that they didn't know uh, he sure was there. Sure they did. So. I, you know, I, I have, I've heard a little bit about your story, and I'm really, really excited and interested to hear more about yeah. it. Um, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were in – Afghanistan in 2005 or 6? 2005 through 2006. I left Murfreesboro on the 4th of July 2005 wow. and was in Pakistan by the 7th or 8th of July. So, Excuse me, Afghanistan by the 7th or 8th so of July. So by, by the time you were there, um, if I'm correct, and you correct me if I'm wrong because 
very well could be. Um, but my understanding and recollection is that uh, really the Taliban had been largely neutralized by yeah. us by uh, 2003, roughly, at some point in that area. And I'm so curious to uh, hear about your experience and what your job was in helping train the Afghan yeah. uh, army after that point of time. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I was a member of the Tennessee Army National Guard 196 Field Artillery Brigade. And so they put us out there as embedded trainers. And so part of the mission was you wanted, you know, senior captains and senior um, staff sergeants or higher, um, sergeant first class master. You wanted senior mature leaders. It wasn't a mission for a lieutenant or a younger soldier. So you were basically to advise, teach, mentor, and coach these soldiers. So they would come out of, say, you know, basic training, and then you would stand up a Kandak, which is an Afghan term for a battalion. And then you would place that battalion, um, you know, at that point in time, you know, we were in Herat, and that battalion had literally been there probably less than a year. And you think about the size of the Afghan army at that time, it wasn't that large, ten to 15,000 soldiers. So we would teach them just, you know, basic soldiering schools we'd have a training plan we would you know like shoot it how to shoot a gun or exactly you would do we would we would set up a, a rifle marksmanship course we teach them how to shoot uh teach them how to stress fire we teach them out you know how to set up a checkpoint where how to patrol recruit, where did they recruit their soldiers and how did they vet them great question and i didn't really know how they recruited or vetted uh, a soldier but one of the fundamental problems that i saw was you would have soldiers that would come and you get to know you know them let's just say you're in Herat which is western Afghanistan this soldier may have came from Kandahar and another soldier may have came from Jalalabad all the way in the east right near the Pakistani border and imagine not having any sort of central banking system at the time wow so you pay a soldier and you didn't pay them a whole lot. You paid them 135 U.S. dollars, about 50 Afghani to one dollar at the time. Is that a month or a month? A month, which wow. was actually a pretty good wage when you considered the average annual wage in in Afghanistan. Right. Regardless, I hand Bill 135 dollars, and he's got 300 miles to get it to mom and dad. He takes off walking, or he gets on a bus, and you may not see him for two weeks. And you think about how that affects, you know, readiness and getting, you know, a soldier ready. And sometimes he gets back to the farm and he says, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And he stays there and you never see him again. High rates of desertion. Yes. Um, you know, it's just that was one fundamental problem. I always felt like because of the tribal system, if you get a soldier that's from the Kandahar area, keep him in Kandahar. Right. So. I think we're fixing to take a break. I want to, first of all, thank you for your service. I didn't even tell you that. Thank you for your service. And, thank you, Bill. Uh, if people want to uh, chime in or watch us, go to Facebook and watch us at Mr. Murfreesboro Live. You're listening to the Mr. Murfreesboro Show, and we'll be right back with Austin Maxwell. enjoy acoustic guitars stop by the showroom at the gallagher guitar company on walnut street in murfreesboro tennessee we are open to the public every saturday from 10 until 2 and at other times by appointment 
We also offer educational tours of the guitar building process. And be sure to check out our live music venue. Why go to Nashville when you can hear live music in downtown Murfreesboro? Look us up at GallagherGuitar.com. Has your home experienced storm damage or do you just need a remodel? Oakstone Builders LLC is your answer. They also build custom homes. You can find them at 3173 South Church Street here in Murfreesboro or call 931-488-5967. That's 931-488-5967. Hey, it's Bill. Did you know it's Bill. Did you know I also sell for Parks Real Estate? Meredith Thomas and I make up the Thomas Wilson team. We have over 25 years of real estate experience and have helped nearly 1,000 families buy and sell real estate here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, and Middle Tennessee. Why not choose us to help you and your family with all your real estate needs? Give us a call at 615-406-5872 or 615-896-4040. Or you can follow me at Mr. Murfreesboro on Facebook or Instagram. Curve them, crack them, or bend them. We can mend them. Come by Wheelworks, located 516 South Church Street, for a free estimate. We also sell performance and passenger tires, as well as aftermarket and factory wheels. We also install lift kits, and we've been sponsoring and serving this community for 15 years. Come see us at Wheelworks at 516 South Church Street, or give us a call at 615-849-3848. Grand Slam Collectibles is your place in Murfreesboro to buy, sell, and trade sports cards, collectibles, and memorabilia. Head on over to their website only at GrandSlam.com. They're located at 1254 Northwest Broad Street. You can also reach them by phone at 615-809-2362 or become one of their over 30,000 followers on Facebook at Grand Slam Collectibles 615. Regal Tile provides professional closing services with their decades of experience in all types of real estate transactions. They can adapt to any situation and handle it with ease. They will be responsible for safeguarding and properly distributing all transaction funds and documents. When it comes to property rights, Regal Tile will provide peace of mind that every customer deserves. You can find them at 316 West Main Street here in Murfreesboro or online at regaltitlellc.com or by phone at 615-295-8042. Hey everybody, it's Mr. Murfreesboro, Bill Wilson. Thanks for tuning in. We're here with our guest, retired Lieutenant Colonel Austin Maxwell, and guest host, Claire Berger Perkins. And uh, we're excited. What were we talking about, Claire? Didn't you have a question or something for her? Uh, we were we were talking about the rate of corruption and yeah. desertion yeah. that you experienced because Betting soldiers, yeah, yeah. And it's funny you, you you just talk about corruption in general, and I'll tell you a few stories. You know, um, you know, I was a operations fund person, so you know, I would go to Camp Phoenix and then go to into you know downtown Kabul, and I, I'll call it the green zone for lack of a better term. But it was very secure, area and I would draw money, you know, for various operational projects. You know, we want to get a well dug, or we want to you know fix this or do this and then i had a couple of counterparts that were uh pay officers and so 
they would go draw money and they would have a roster of you know the hundred and some odd soldiers that were in this afghan company and to get paid you had to show up with the id obviously and our specifically remember this situation talking to them they they had literally soldiers coming up with other soldiers id cards trying to say well pay me i'll hold i'll hold the money for them or or specific i remember a battalion commander coming up saying you know well i have these six cards they're they're coming back go ahead and pay me and of course we didn't do that we would hold the money and of course we took the id cards too that way he couldn't pull that trick on somebody else so corruption um yes it was uh it was within the the army um probably well within the police and probably well within the government um it's just you know it's a fact of life you know there's always going to be bad people but even one soldier i trusted explicitly um later found out he was taking ammunition that we would give to him to distribute to his soldiers what we later found out is that he was you know uh trading it to the taliban and that was a a big wake-up call that's a no-no yeah that's a no-no so you you know it's uh I'll just say fundamentally, you know, I believed in the mission, still believe in the mission. Um, personally, wish we were still there. Um, Where did it, will you expound on that? Yeah. yeah. I, Where did it go wrong? Where yeah. do you think it went wrong? You know, or I'm not yeah. saying it went wrong. I'm just saying that what I've heard is yeah. the Afghan, they just didn't put up a fight. Yeah. So I'll go back to the the tribal elders. And right. that whole system, you know, you, you the the tribal el- elders. It's you know, those are the the power brokers in that country. You know, right. uh, in a in a in a district in a village, it's the elders that are looked up to. Now, did the elders get tired of the corruption within the Afghan government, the lack of security, right? Um, the fact that they felt like you know just nothing was happening and the taliban came to them with a better option um was money given to them i don't know um was money promised them perhaps but you know i still feel like and i'm going to get to your question in a second uh, claire that fundamentally change was never going to occur overnight you know when i was there you know we're four and a half years removed from the ouster of the Taliban. Right. Um, You know, no centralized banking system. The ring road that ran around the country was still very much under construction. But 20 years later, you know, the pictures I saw of Kabul then and and now, you know, with some actual high rises and things of that nature, I was like, wow, what progress had been made. So I say that change is never going to uh, occur overnight it, it, to me it'd be like us saying you know in korea after 10 years or 15 years okay it's time to leave uh, we didn't leave and you look at you know south korea you know we're still there 70 years after that war right and to me afghanistan was always going to be something like that um a small u.s presence with u.s dollars um, and obviously isaf which is the international security mm-hmm. assistance force to help keep that country stable and to keep China and Russia out of there. And that's ultimately who is going to fill the that void. Back, the yeah. void. And that was going to be yeah. my next question to you is what, what, what does it look like now for yeah. them? 
Yeah, I mean, for them, um, you've already seen Russia in the uh, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. They're already, you know, getting involved with their military up there and have been for the past several years. Um, you know, you think about, excuse me, China. China borders Afghanistan, very small sliver of it. Yeah. But you think about it, if China could somehow build a road through there and take it, connect it into the ring road or connect it into trade with Iran, then it just makes China more powerful. Um, the country is very mineral rich, and that's ultimately uh, large natural gas reserves in the north, cobalt, nickel, copper, lithium. So it's very mineral rich, right. and you'll see China and Russia, and who, who's not to say maybe Pakistan, right. you know, benefit from that eventually. Right. So, you know, to me, you know, as a veteran, you know, you kind of say, you know, was it worth it? I believe it was worth it. I did my best. Right. I just, you know, you know, I think Obama faced the same question. You know, if we okay, we've killed Bin Laden. If we pull out now what would happen? And Trump probably faced that same question. I think everybody said, don't do it, don't do it. 40 years from now, if the answer is still the same, then we got a big problem, but we'll never know. <clears throat> and so, and you can, you can help me through this. My next question is, was there, there recently, my understanding was a point that Taliban was advancing again were we faced with a point where we either needed more troops to combat the rising Taliban presence and um, attacks, or we needed to cut and run? Did we have enough troops present at the time yeah. to do what yeah. needed to be done? I feel like we were in uh, a catch-22. Yeah. So if you look at the surge you know, that was there um, during Obama's presidency, and I think that occurred around 10 or 11, not quite sure, but, you know, he did the surge. You know, Taliban made a comeback in 2006, and I experienced that firsthand um, down in uh, Sangin District down in Helmand Province. And you just read about all, it was around 06, they really started a resurgence, and it kept growing and growing and growing. And then Obama surged and put a kibosh mm -hmm. to it. Um, you could have had 100,000 troops there, but that, to me personally, that wasn't our role at that time. It was, let's build this army, build this nation, keep a small, small force, primarily with the air powers, what mm -hmm. they needed us mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. They needed the, you know, the helicopters, the jets, the drones, and that's how they were able to win. And you know, the Afghan Special Forces, which was really, you know, the, the really the cream of their crop, my understanding was in recent years, they were the ones that were having the most success against the Taliban, primarily augmented by U.S. air power. Is that where you got your Purple Heart and your bronze start was in that where you were just saying? Yeah, it was in uh, Sangin down in, Sangin uh, down in, again, kind of a, the, the Taliban had made their comeback and right. had overrun the uh, police presence down there in that district. So we took our Kandak, our battalion, from Herat all the way down the ring road, set up a new base on the high ground uh, just outside Sangin, and uh, built it from the ground up. Right. Uh, named it, uh, named after uh, 
uh, Chris Robinson, Five Robinson. He was a uh, Mississippi Army National Guard soldier that unfortunately uh, was killed in action. And so uh, we named it after Chris. Right. Um, but, you know, it's so to answer your question, never really probably had enough troops there until we had the big surge. And I could talk about this for days. I always felt like Iraq caused us to take our eyes off Afghanistan. I was going to ask forth. that question. It's like ping pong. Yeah. yeah. You go from Afghanistan, and then you went to Iraq as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. I went to that. Iraq in 2009 and 10, but totally different mission. You know, I was on a, a big base and did convoy security and base security, whereas the Afghanistan mission, you know, you're really working with troops, working with soldiers, and, you know, my veteran buddies will know this, you're far away from the flagpole. You know, you're able to really do what you need to do right. uh, to develop them. but. Um, tell you, I'll tell you one of my favorite memories though over there. Please do. Um, it involves dogs. So, and Chechron, and Chechron. That's not a Marty story. Well, we're getting to the Marty. We're going to get to a Marty right. story. But in Chechron, uh, there was a family that would bring us. You know, we had a well, and they would want water, and they'd come and they'd fill water, and we had no problem. They'd come there and crank it and take the water back. And finally, one day they showed up with this dog, and a uh, little pup had big paws though, and uh, it went like lunch. No, just yeah. no. <laughs> we named him a uh, bear. Bear. And, and bear was you know kind of our 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 dog, and eventually you know because of the winters we closed down, and had to close that little outpost down, so we fell back to Herat. And of course, Sergeant Major comes in and says, "Up, oh, can't have the dog. You know, we've already got a dog for the camp." We said, well, "That's not fair. We're going to have an election. You know, let them fight it out. We're going to have an election, honest and fair election. Let these two dogs <laughs> run for who's going to be camp dog." And uh, so we put up signs. You know, Bear will get you steak and lobster on Friday nights. Bear will get you more hot water in the showers <laughs> right. and things like that. And you know, Bear won the election, and Bear stayed as camp dog. So what happened Wait, to the other dogs? Things. Uh, <laughs> well, Sergeant Sergeant major adopted him as his personal you do you know, remember that dog's name i don't remember that dog's name well, but I, I know that bear was a, a great great friend so wow. great dog what happened to bears you know we uh, gave him to the special forces uh, right. one of the oda teams as we left and so he hung out with them and who knows what happened to him from there you've got dogs today don't I've you got dogs today you know what one of the reasons why i have dogs today and why my wife still speaks to me <laughs> is that one day the dog ran off and it was my fault it was a new dog too it was a new it? dog and it was february getting ready to snow and so who What's are you going to call when you're trying to find a missing dog but none other than bill wilson mr murfreesboro <laughs> put out the apb and guess who we got we found the dog we found the dog it was close to todd's lake wasn't it yeah he was <laughs> it was like a mile yeah. it, it was Far down. It was the day before Valentine's Day, and he was he was out trying well, to find think, his Valentine. Well, he had a girl, he had several girlfriends, uh, I believe. He Mar was he was a player, Marty. Marty, so. the, Marty the magnet. So, and Marty, he's cute. How old is Marty now? He's Cocker, a he's black a, and white cocker spaniel. He's 15, 16 months. You know, he's precious. Yeah, he's a cute. So, one. anyway, I, that's the Marty story. Marty. But I will say this about Bear. You know, and you talk about dogs having a sixth sense. So about our second or third night in this particular position in Sanguine, 
And we've literally not built any HESCO walls yet. We've literally got concertina wire out on the perimeter. We, we've circled the wagons, for lack of a better term. We've got Humvees strategically placed. And uh, we did get attacked that night. But as the sun went down, Bear got up under one of the Humvees and just kept crying and whining and crying and whining. And it was almost like he had this sixth sense. Something was about to happen. And about 30 minutes later, it happened. Yeah. Trying to tell you something. He's trying to tell us. The attack us. Took, took place yeah. about 30 minutes yeah. later. Is it true, would they, the Taliban sometimes would dress up like the Afghan police officers? Um, yes. From time to time yeah. to try to trick you or whatever. Yeah, the, you would you would see them try to do that. And In fact, there was a attack, this is uh, when I was in Iraq, but because of my security clearance, we actually got to see the, the photos of an attack on Bagram Air Base at the time. And there they were in, in full dress, you know, Afghan Army and some American, you know, wow. uniforms at the time. And, uh, you know, trying to breach the gates there. So I, I'm so interested. You said a few minutes ago, and we know you've done, you, you've done this duty in, in Afghanistan. Several, several years later, you go to Iraq. What, what did those roles look like? What, what was it like in Afghanistan? What was it like in Iraq? Give us an idea of, of how those, yeah, yeah. What, did that, what did that look like so, in each place? So for me in Afghanistan, you know, for example, if I wanted to get a message to my wife, I might type it out on my little personal laptop, put it on a thumb drive, and we had a little portable computer called an Arbigan. So literally think of a laptop, and the other laptop is the uh, satellite. You'd point it up, it'd connect, I'd plug it in, and shoot her an email message. Didn't have a cell phone. I uh, had one satellite phone that we could call back. So I might speak to her every couple of months. Okay, fast forward to Iraq. I'm on a big base that has Wi-Fi, three hot meals a day, and a gym. And I could literally Skype with her if I wanted to. Um, sometimes you didn't want to because there's nothing you can do. You're just dealing with all the problems that she's having to go through. So in some ways it was probably good that I wasn't as connected. But that's just one simple example is communication-wise you don't have it. Um, hot meal-wise you don't have it. Hot shower-wise you don't have it. You're truly kind of out in the wild, wild west in that mission at the time. What was the objective in Iraq for your unit personally yeah. when you were there? So for our unit, you know, um, again, Tennessee Army National Guard unit, part of the 278th uh, Armored Cavalry Regiment. We rotated into Iraq in 2010. So it was uh, basically a lot of uh, base defense and convoy security. And so for my particular unit, which was out of Winchester, we... Um, had the base defense, the BDOC, Base Defense Operations Center there in uh, Mosul, Iraq, mm -hmm. five Merez and five Diamondback, and then convoy security. And so for me, it was a lot of 18, 19 hour days because it was kind of base defense by the day. And then as the afternoon approached, I started getting into convoy security mode and going around and just making sure we were ready for those night's missions. And you always had, you know, troops out on the road escorting because you got to realize where Mosul is, mm -hmm. okay? Northern Iraq, 
you've got Turkey, mm -hmm. a place called Harbor Gate, and that was the entry point into Iraq. That was where all the fuel was coming out of Turkey in these you know big, large tractor trailers and fuel trucks being escorted by U.S. forces through Mosul down to our base, all the way down MSR-1 Tampa to various other FOBs and uh, bases throughout Iraq. So you always had to escort them. Um, so interesting mission, but very much opposite to what you know a lot of us had done the, f the first time. And how long were you there? Um, we weren't there the full year. We were there literally probably about seven or eight months um, because you know President Obama, you know, in the drawdown, so uh, you know Iraqi freedom became Operation New Dawn, mm -hmm. and so we we hit and did the uh, transfer in February and then started leaving in July and August. So much, much shorter mission. Right. You know. I got a question for you, and I don't want to talk politics, but I want to ask you. You want to talk about Marty? No, what you want to talk about? Well, I'm still I'm, I'm waiting for that uh, finder's face. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, did the President Trump? Is it true that he was talking to the Taliban and really wanted to come to Camp David? Is that true or not? That I don't know. You don't. Know. I don't know. I don't know. I can see why you would communicate yeah. maybe with them to. Uh, then again, I don't. You know, you know, we can talk politics in the sense that all four of these U.S. presidents really um, made mistakes when right. it came to Afghanistan, from from Bush, right, taking his eye off of Afghanistan going right. into Iraq to Obama. To Trump entering into a deal with the that's Taliban. That's what I. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. To uh, Biden abiding by it. You know, he's torn up every one of Trump's deals, but he kept that one. So it's just like we've let it become too political. Right. And strategically, you could have kept three thousand U.S. soldiers there. Yeah. And probably kept that country stable while time. It breaks your heart yeah. to, to see. Uh, how bad is it? You, I mean, you talk about immigration people coming up from South America, but how bad is it that people will, will get in the airplane wheel to get out of that country and they're falling from the and sky? And they're falling from the sky. It's got to be pretty darn yeah. bad. As bad as it was on 9 11. They've got to be pretty yeah, exactly. from the towers. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, They've got to be pretty fearful. Yes. Yeah. Bad. What, what do you think? Uh, would have happened if Biden had abandoned uh, the deal that Trump made? Would would things be different, or would it have prompted uh, retaliation and more? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it probably would have uh, prompted retaliation. You would probably have seen an uptick. You know, we hadn't had a uh, U.S. soldier death in probably 18 months, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that was linked to that agreement with the Taliban. But let's just assume that they would have taken the gloves off. You probably would have seen uh, retaliation, retaliatory strikes. Uh, you might have even had to have seen a temporary increase in, in a U.S. presence there. I mean, it was down to nothing. I right. mean, it was really down to nothing at that point. And probably the majority of them were concentrated at Bagram Air Force Base anyway. So I've really struggled with why neither Biden nor Trump uh, 
started this evacuation process earlier. Sooner, yeah. And then I've also struggled in trying to, to think through that question. Would it have just resulted in this same fiasco earlier? And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I wonder if you have a perspective on it, having had the personal experience here that you have had. I don't don't have a good answer for you. I mean, if you had started announcing, you know, evacuations, is that pressing the panic button and signaling that we feel like it's going to fold and it it would have spiraled out of nowhere? Um, The big thing for me was, you know, Bagram Air Force Base, which I've been there. Yeah, you know it's thirty to forty miles north of Kabul. The standoff distance on that air base with the multiple runways would have been a very good vantage point to consider for any sort of evacuation. I think that was a tactical mistake. Yeah, but uh, you know, so be it. So I'm interested. You said earlier you wish we were still there. Yeah. What? What would that look like if it were up to you? You know, if it were up to me, it'd been 2,500 to 5,000, you know, U.S. soldiers. Think of it as a brigade plus. Brigade is, you know, 3,000, 3,500. So think of it as a brigade plus. Uh, Probably you've got them strategically laid out throughout the country. Uh, Bagram being a big presence, um, but you probably have a presence there at Kandahar, Herat, Jalalabad, and Mazari Sharif. So five major areas plus Kabul, six, um, just to help keep it secure. But with the primary impetus being on the air power, the air power, once they knew the air power wasn't there, the drones weren't there, the helicopters, the fighter jets, all that air support, I think that kind of broke their spirit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's me. I mean, you think about it, we've got 12,000 troops in, in Germany. Um, I can't recall Italy. I want to say Korea. Is, yeah, I was to say Korea. We've got several thousand yeah, of them. Yeah, Korea, I think, is 15,000, I think. But regardless of the number, you could have kept 5,000 there and strategically stood that country up and kept China and Russia out of, you know, it. Out of it. But my opinion... But they, but the Afghan and the pack, that area right there has been like that for thousands of years. Yeah. Bedouin, uh, nomadic people, and uh, the Russians tried this what in '78, yeah. and they uh, the the uh, Afghan got those, those yeah, the, missiles. The missiles on their shoulder, and that yeah, really the, set the difference. Yeah, the the Stinger missiles. The Stinger that, missile, that's right. That was su- <laughs> supplied by the United States via the CIA, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, it was an interesting book I was reading one time, you know, it was called Ghost Wars. Uh, it's written by Steve Cole. I read it before I went to Afghanistan. But it recalls, um, can't remember the gentleman's name, but he went over there to meet with Masood. Masood, who was assassinated by the Taliban two days before 9-11. Mm-hmm. He's basically went to see Masood and say, okay, I need the Stinger missiles back. He's like, I, want them back. I only got like eight of them, period. Left in 10 years so it was like all this money that and stinger missiles and all that who knows where it went 
you know, to the, to the Pakistanis that were distributing it to various factions. Kind of like that. What was that movie? Charlie Wilson's War? Yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah. You're not related to him, are you? No, no. You know? Is it, I, mean, no I have one L. He's got two? No, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know what uh, William stands for, Great Protector. Really? Yeah, I, I do know, know that. that. So, where do we go from here? What are we... Uh, it does have to be disheartening, and you hit it on the head. All it doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican, everybody played a, played a role. I mean, yeah. we're all, we're Americans, right? We stick together. Uh, nobody's perfect. Um, it, it it's a sad situation. Hopefully, something good will come out of it. Again, thank you for you know for your service, and and uh, I've got a, a niece's husband who was over. He was out of Fort Bragg, and he earned a uh, Purple Heart. He took one. In the shoulder, in the shoulder, and then they fl- flew him to Germany. They flew to Germany, and then I think Walter Reed in Baltimore, and then back. But uh, and it was a, it was a Taliban. It was a Taliban who was dressed up like a Afghan police Afghan officer. Afghan police that, officer, but it was a Russian rifle, a bullet. Okay, yeah. so we kind of hit on that. But it, yeah, it, it's disheartening to think of the, the money that was spent. I mean, you can't put a. a Life is worth so much more than money, yeah. but the principles that were there, uh, hopefully, again, something good happens. Something good will yeah, happen. Yeah, it's you know the w- there has been a generation. If you think about it, you know, two thousand and one till now, there have been children that have been born that have grown up there that have kind of seen what a non-Taliban Afghanistan has been like. So perhaps you have created that generation of kids that got a taste of what it could be like. I do feel bad for, you know, uh, the women, yes. the, the young girls that, tough. you know, that may no longer be able to go to school. I mean, only time will tell. Um, you know, so we'll see. Yeah. I think we're going to take a break here. We're here with Lieutenant, retired Lieutenant Colonel Austin Maxwell and with uh, Claire Burger Perkins, my guest host. This is Mr. Murfreesboro, Bill Wilson. This is WGNS, 1450 AM. We'll be right back. Rhonda McCrary has been in the mortgage business for 29 years. She was voted as a favorite mortgage loan officer in the 2018 and 2019 DJ Ruthie Awards, and she's a proud member of the Middle Tennessee State University 1989 graduating class. She specializes in all types of mortgage products and takes pride in going the extra mile and personally taking care of her customers. You can visit her at 1639 Medical Center Parkway, Suite 203 here in Murfreesboro. Reach her by phone, 615-419-9193, or even apply online at loansbyrhonda.com. Garrison Fork Trucking is a small trucking business located in Middle Tennessee. They aim to provide the highest quality of services for their shippers and receivers and offer the opportunity of job stability and quality of life for their drivers. Benefits include paid orientation and training, performance bonuses, no force dispatch, truck remains with the team, referral bonuses, direct deposit weekly, competitive pay, and a flexible schedule. Give them a call at 615-721-2286 or online at garrisonforktrucking.com. 
The Seasons of Murfreesboro Restaurant and Lounge is your home for great live music and food. Located in Murfreesboro, they specialize in serving up great food and live music to Central Tennessee and beyond. They are locally owned and operated, family friendly, and appreciate great music and good times. If you're looking for a great night out during the week or the weekend, check them out at 2227 Old Fort Parkway in the Clarion Inn or head over to their website, seasonsofmurfreesboro.com. BioRenew Clinic is the place for you. Nutritional deficiencies are replaced to optimize your health and well-being. Services include bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, IV infusion, anti-aging, energy-enhancing detoxification, and immunity-boosting protocols. They're located at 803 North Thompson Lane, Suite 104 here in Murfreesboro. Phone number is 615-603-8957. That is BioRenew Clinic. Mark your calendars now. Saturday, September the 25th at 6 p.m. is the Dew Drop Jamboree. You're not going to want to miss this event. Once again, the Dew Drop Jamboree, Saturday, September the 25th at 6 p.m. at the Washington Theater at Patterson Park. You're listening to the Mr. Murfreesboro Show here on WGNS 1450 AM Talk Radio. And our guest tonight has been retired Lieutenant Colonel Austin Maxwell. And we want to thank him for coming and joining us tonight. And then also Claire Berger uh, Perkins, who's been my guest uh, co-host. And I want to thank and her. And doing a fantastic, doing a fantastic, well, fantastic job. I feel a little, a little out of my element. She's doing. <laughs> and I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank, uh, I want to thank Lynn Wallace with the Dewdrop Jamboree. They've got an event going on September 25th at the Patterson Park Community Center at the Washington Theater. If you like country music, you need to check that out on September 25th. And Chef Raymond Doherty with Seasons out there where uh, at the Clarion Hotel. And then Stevie Smoot with Bio Renew, and Bill Walker and Gina Burgess with Garrison Fort Trucking. My buddy Mitch Robinson with Wheelworks here located on South Church Street. Chris Rowland with Oakstone Builders. David Mathis with Gallagher Guitars. Nate the Great Burns with Grand Slam Collectibles. Rhonda McCrary, my dear friend with Iberia Bank. And then the lady who closes all of our deals, Tabitha King with Regal Title. Thank y'all so much. We could not get this done without y'all. So where again? Where do we? I tell you who I feel sorry for. Are the are are the Kurd the Kurdistan Kurdistan or the Kurds? All that whole area was different nations back in the day, or different. It wasn't. It was Mesopotamia back in biblical yeah. days. Yeah, you know the the Kurds in Iraq. Um, that's a whole that's different a, yeah. different subject, you know, but. I'll never forget going on a convoy in Iraq up to Harbor Gate, and you go through Mosul, and it still you know looked pretty rough. And you get up into Kurdistan, you look northeast over, Iraq, yeah, right? Northwest, northwest, northwest. Okay. And you look over to the right as you're going up. And there's like, wow, there's apartment buildings. There's a Nissan dealership uh-uh. with like 500 white Nissan Sentras. I mean, they had any Nissan Sentra you could want as long as it was white. <laughs> was it and made? Affordable. Was it made there? Was it made here in Smyrna? 
Uh, that's a great question. I need you to find out. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even Could think be, about that. Mississippi has you one, too. Alabama's got one. Yeah, the Kurds. I always felt like the Kurds were the United States, our, our good friends. But they were good yeah. friends, and I think we kind of bailed yeah. on them. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. I... Uh, Man, I tell you, I, I just don't know. We we don't know what's going to happen. None of us do, really, for sure. Do you think we will ever go back? You know, I hope uh, I hope we don't ever have to go back. I mean, we've turned that page. And I said earlier, I wish we were still there. But we've turned that page. I hope we don't ever have to go back. Because if we ever have to go back, that means that some sort of 9-11 type event has happened again right. and that the group responsible is right there sitting there so i hope we never have to go back um but i'll pray you know for the people there that that the regime that is there now that either somehow they become more tolerant which i doubt they will but they're able to stand up and fight and take their country back right. which is in the Panjir Valley now, right now, some of that is happening. But hope we never have to go back because right. that means something bad probably happened here. Right. So We don't want that. Yeah. Do you feel like overall, was it a success or was it not a success or was it a little bit of both? You know, that's a good question. Um, You know, it's just hard to say. You know, from my perspective, I think if you ask any veteran, they would say, I did my best. I right. tried my hardest. I gave it my all. I said goodbye to my wife and my kids and my, you know, everybody for X amount of time. And if you walked away and came home, it's a, a success that you got home. Um, but I think if you look at it in the totality of 20 years, especially on the eve of 9 11, the 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 group that harbored osama bin laden is now going to be flying their flag over our embassy on 9-11 and that's the thing that really hurts that's hard that's hard that's hard I, you know, to process for what it's worth i i look at it as i i think it was necessary and had to be done yep. and i see i admire everyone who went there and i see great success in that we we did neutralize the Taliban. Mm -hmm. We did ultimately get Osama bin Laden. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I feel like. Do you feel like that the the objective of the mission changed at some point? Was it yeah. was it the same objective as when yeah. we went in two thousand one? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because if you just in reading stuff and listening to stuff. You know, in, in 01, the objective was, let's get in there, let's kick these guys out, let's mm -hmm. find him. So we kick him out, can't find him, nobody knows where he's at. Still can't find him in 03, 05, 07, 09, and then boom, you know, uh, Obama gets him. Mm -hmm. Would that have been the time to leave? I, I, I asked mean, myself the you same know, question. I, you know, we could have left then. I don't think they would have been they would have probably the same result would have happened they would have folded pretty quickly so that's the struggle they didn't expect they uh biden or any of them they didn't expect them to to fold like they did i mean they were yeah they expected them to fold they just thought it would take more time six months maybe a year but it just fold, happened like so two weeks. quickly yeah it just happened so quickly what um, did the objective become did it become to establish a democracy there yeah. like what we have here and and is yeah. that a realistic objective for yeah. that 
culture I, I, and region. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't think you can impose a Western style of governing on, you know, a Southwest, Southeast, you know, Asia type of uh, way of thinking. I mean, it's like I've said before, and Bill's even referenced, the majority of the population lives in the countryside, not in the cities, and the village elders hold quite power. I just don't think that was set up for success. I think, you know, I hate to say it, but if you would kind of had some various regional centers, I mean, there's a reason why they used to call Hamid Karzai the mayor of Kabul because that's what he was. He was the mayor of Kabul. Even though he was the president of Afghanistan, he never got outside of Kabul and got outside. He stayed in a certain area. Yeah, exactly. And then he, he bailed. I mean, he he left. He left, but he's but actually Hutchinson. back there now, supposedly in Kabul, you know, trying to work with the Taliban, which... Because he still I, has a lot of influence. Still has a lot of influence, and maybe he's trying to do some good. I don't know. But, right. Hey, Bill, before we run here... Okay. Are you going to ask me a question? I'm not going to ask you a okay. question. I want to give a shout out to, to Claire's young son who painted this great American flag. Look at this that. Evening. He, so, he did. It's actually yeah. good. You need to get him to sign that. Yeah. That's, that. That, is, that is from Claire's son. I had son, to that. So. print a picture of the American flag off of well, the internet. That's so beautiful. I want to thank you. And, and, and that's going in my office. Thank and I'm going to tape yep. it right there on my bookcase and let it, let it hang there. So I he appreciate like that. He would like to know that. He was, he yeah. was excited. Uh, You've got a good young man there. Thank okay. you. It's a blessing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, he's a good boy. Claire, do you want to say anything in closing? Is there anybody you want to say hello to or closing thoughts? I, you know, I haven't thanked you for your service, and that was the first thing on my mind when I came in here. Um, it, it has been really a joy and a pleasure to talk to you and to hear your firsthand experience about a place that, frankly, I think most of us don't really understand and uh, can't even truly imagine. So thank you for sharing that with us because uh, I know it's... Um, not always pleasant thank you um you don't have to thank me for my service but others have come before me and others will come long after i'm long gone and that's just because of the country that we live in it's the greatest nation on earth and i think going to a place like afghanistan gives you such an appreciation for how good we have it Amen. in terms of the fact that we can wake up and choose to do this or choose to do that but we can choose to do that mm -hmm. because we're americans walmart looks attractive after all right no I, yeah. I read an article recently on that subject that said you know we can when the news gets unpleasant we can turn it off and yeah. we're not living in a country where you literally are uh, dangling from an airplane like you can't yeah. get yeah. away from it and they can't get away from it right so we are definitely blessed well i think we're fixing to get out of here but Thank you for your time, and give my best to Claire, Marty, and the rest of the family. I will. I will. Um, Marty is probably snuggled up to her, dead asleep, <laughs> you know, waiting for me to get home. She's probably got the remote in her hand. You know, <laughs> or Marty. You know, or Marty, who knows. But uh, Be a good boy, yes, Marty. He'll be a good one, but thanks for having me yeah. on, Bill. Thank you, brother. Thanks for all you do Thank for you. this community. You're all the time highlighting a lot of stuff and it, it certainly makes this the big city of murfreesboro far more interesting thank you sir and thank you claire you've been Thanks listening to mr me. murfreesboro show this is bill wilson mr murfreesboro we'll be back next week at nine o'clock god bless you